You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 567 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Thursday afternoon. Joining me momentarily will be the great Michael Pina of the internet, all kinds of different places, formerly of Vice Sports, now covering the league over SB Nation during the playoffs. We talk about a number of Hawks topics from Trey Young and John Collins to Kevin Herter, Lloyd Pierce, the future, et cetera, et cetera. So please stay tuned for that conversation in a moment. But before we get to Michael, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast. Go ahead and uh, press that button over at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Himalaya, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, all those places we should be there. If we're not there, please let me know that, and I'll have that rectified in the very near future. But without further ado, we'll come back with Michael after the short break, and uh, here we go to talk about the Hawks. Mike, thank you for joining me, sir. What's going on? How's it going, Brad? I'm all right. Uh, you know, it's an interesting time to be talking about the Hawks here in late April when nothing else is going on, right, in the NBA world. I know you're very not busy at all right now. Nothing else is happening in basketball. No, this is the dead time. <laughs> uh, I know you're uh, crazy stuff, so I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll take some time to talk about the Hawks. So I know like most of my conversations the next couple of months will be draft-focused. I'm going to save that for the very end. I might ask you something about the draft. But um, you know, big picture-wise, I know you've written about the Hawks a few times. We, we tweeted about the Hawks back and forth some. Now that we've seen a couple years of the rebuild, I think it's kind of going pretty well. But what do you make of where the Hawks are now, big picture sense, that we could drill down from there? Yeah, I mean, I think – the uh, first of all, I want to say that I'm extremely optimistic about uh, their infrastructure, their foundation, the talent that they have, the young talent uh, there. You know, I can't really speak too much to um, uh, prospects in the draft and who's a great fit because I, I just don't ever watch college basketball. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I, I really. Uh, I'm a fan of the way they've accumulated assets through the draft, future picks. Uh, that seems to be a priority, and I think it's a smart one. Uh, I thought that the rookie season that Trey Young had was, uh, I, th- I mean, is it safe to call it underrated? I, I like, I, I'm just, I was blown away. You know, some of the numbers aren't great. Some of the numbers are great. Uh, I'm, I'm more just talking. Uh, every time I watched him play, he looked like he he belonged in the NBA in a way that very few players uh, his size and his age uh, do. Um, his you know his passing is 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 just uh, completely next level, and it's the type of passing and unselfishness that can elevate uh, mediocre players to good. And, uh, you, we saw what it did with, with John Collins this year. I thought that it was a, a huge, uh, boon to his sophomore season. Um, so yeah, I'm just generally optimistic about the Hawks. I know that, you know, I don't know if they're going to make a, a, a humongous leap this summer in terms of personnel decisions. I, I would like to see them kind of slow grow this as much as possible. Uh, and, uh, you know, take it with the picks and and not do anything splashy in terms of a, a large contract uh, to a guy who maybe not 
deserve it. I, I, I wouldn't like them to kind of accelerate the timeline here. I think they're on a really good path. I think patience it will serve them well. And I think Hawks fans have a lot to be excited about over the next five or six years. Yeah, they're definitely saying the right things about not speeding up, you know, not skipping steps. Is something that Lloyd Pierce talked about at the end of the year. I think Travis Lang has said the same. So I'm, I'm kind of along the lines of you with uh, being optimistic about them taking their time here, and they have some pretty intriguing talent. I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back to Trey and John, who are obviously the guys we talk about all the time. Um, but I, I want to go to Kevin Herter first because I know you like him a, a lot as well in my interactions with you. What have you seen from him? I know he's sort of the under the radar guy in some ways because of all the uh, attention that John and Trey got, but I think uh, all things considered, it was a pretty positive rookie season for her as well. No, uh, definitely. I mean, you, you want to talk about, I, I just said this about Trey, but you know, guys who, who show they belong. I think that anytime you have the size he has with the stroke that he has, the way he can shoot on the catch, the way he can space uh, from extreme far, extremely far distances. I, I was very impressed with his athleticism even and just his body type and just the, the his ability to attack closeouts and make interesting things happen. I I'm, I'm just I'm very bullish on, on him. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously guys who can shoot the ball as well as he projects to shoot it throughout the life of his career uh, – are increasingly valuable in the NBA and to kind of snag him in the same draft as, as Trey young, just a really, you know, it, the, the, the comparisons to Stephen clay with Trey and, uh, Kevin are, uh, probably just a little premature, but you see the, you see like the blueprint there. And I don't know how good defensively Kevin's going to be when he, when he hits his prime, uh, obviously what separates clay is, is not only the great all time, great shooting and marksmanship, but you know, his ability to lock down opposing primary ball handlers, which, you know, that's obviously that's, you know, why he's clay Thompson, but, um, so I'm not going to make that comparison necessarily, but I do see what the thinking is in getting that type of player who has that size and, and that shooting ability. So I'm, I'm very high on him, particularly, uh, within the context of of Atlanta's roster, yeah, he, he makes a ton of sense, and you know, especially at 19, you're just kind of looking for, you know, hopefully a starter long term, and I think that's something that he looks like he could be that, which is uh, very obviously he was starting this year, but I, I mean more of like in an, on a big picture sense of fully entrenched starter on a good team, which he's not, sure. he's not quite there yet, but he certainly could be. And uh, you mentioned his um, athleticism being kind of underrated. I think, it, you know, people that didn't watch him, I know, I know you're not, you're not a big college basketball guy. People that didn't watch him in college or just like look at him. Uh, you might not assume that he's not a very good athlete just because, you know, he is, he is white and very skinny and just kind of pale and has it look like someone who would be a shooter necessarily, but, uh, he's kind of springy and really has a, a lot of talent with the ball in his hands and people have started to figure that out, I think as the season went along, but I think it was more of that, Oh, like kind of being stunned by it. Whereas it's just like part of his, array of skills like he's a pretty good athlete and once he gets stronger I'm really intrigued to see what he's going to look like yeah and it'll be really interesting to see uh just how you know every time he would create his own shot it was extremely intriguing you know he he took at least one I want to say pull up three a game which is very impressive I know obviously the Atlanta Hawks encourage that but that type of thing is just it, it's it's next level. You just don't see rookies, rookie uh, like guys who primarily play off the ball take 
you know, I'm looking at the number now, 1.6 uh, pull-up threes per game. That's uh, making 37% of them. So that's, uh, that's a feather in his cap as a rookie and definitely something for him to build on. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you quickly about some of the other young guys. You know, we could talk about the vets all day, and please feel free to share your thoughts if you'd like to <laughs> on, uh, on Baysmore or Deadman or something like that. But I wanted to get your thoughts on – uh, we, at least Tori and Prince and Amari Spellman, because I think the conversation that we've been having locally is kind of like what the young core actually is. And I think we kind of settle on the fact that it's pretty much, you know, it's Herder, it's Collins, it's Young for sure. And that everybody else has their own definition of whether Prince is involved or Spellman's involved. And, you know, I kind of just want to, you know, the, 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 the three guys that are kind of on my list are the three guys. And I think everybody else kind of has to work their way onto it. But they do have some intriguing young pieces with Prince and Spellman. And I guess DeAndre Bembry would be in that mix as well. Anybody you particularly like out of that group? And what do you make of those uh, other sort of supporting pieces? Yeah, I think the most intriguing to me is uh, is Prince. And, uh, you know, anyone, anytime you have someone who can handle the ball the way he does at that size. Um, and also his ability to spot up. Uh, you know, he was very efficient this season, uh, probably not, you know, someone you want as a primary or maybe even a secondary ball handler. Uh, I don't know how, you you know, if he's he needs to take steps in that department, but that probably won't be his long term role on this team, assuming they keep him around. I, you know, just tenacious guys who are that size are, uh, you know, they're not growing on trees right now. That's kind of the player that everybody wants. I'm, I'm happy for the Hawks that they did not uh, trade this guy uh, at the deadline and, you know, continue to maybe get, you know, future assets or whatever they whatever they could for him. Um, I think that he's someone that you want to have, uh, you know, as a part of your, your core going forward. And, uh, you know, he's someone who, when the Hawks are good enough to be in the playoffs, uh, he's going to be playing big minutes for them, I, I would imagine. So uh, that's someone who definitely stands out to me. Everyone else is kind of a bit of a question mark, uh, to be honest. I'm not sure. I actually did see Spellman when he was at, at Nova, and I was kind of like, uh, you know, I hate when people make the Draymond Green comparison, <laughs> just in general. It, like it, was anyone. Out, it, was out, it was out there a lot after the draft, as, as I'm sure you saw. Yeah, I, I I think Draymond is so unique in so many different ways that anytime I just shut off mentally when I hear that comparison. Um, but and, <laughs> big big but um, that would be really interesting if he was you know seventy five percent of what Draymond is. I don't think he ever gets even to that, but but that's intriguing. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, Spellman is that sort of well-rounded piece. Does make sense. I was a little bit lower on that draft pick, but he was okay as a rookie and sort of has some upside if he can get his body under control. You know, it's interesting that you say, I think, um, in general, it's something that we were actually talking about offline with a few people this week. I think the the league is higher on Torian Prince than people in Atlanta are. Um, hmm. Part of that is just um, maybe fatigue and watching him in a bad situation in the last couple of years and his defensive efforts not always been there. But I think it's a situation where he's still six, eight and he can still shoot like a 40, 40% clip from three. And that's a, with some, you know, mildly intriguing ball skills. That's a very intriguing player. So I've kind of almost, you know, I've never been super high on him the last couple of years, but it's almost like I found myself talking people into him again now, um, locally when people tweeted me, like they're kind of, they kind of just like tired of Torian which I sort of understand, like he has some frustrating habits, but in a big picture league sense, 
and you and you can speak to this because you cover the entire league even more than I do. You know, guys like that who have his traits, who can shoot like he can at his size, are just like in huge demand right now. And if you have a guy like that and can figure out the other stuff, it can still work. I think that it's it's very. I understand frustrations that anyone would have um, with. You know, in a situation that has not been super great and you see a guy who consistently gets big minutes when healthy and it doesn't necessarily translate to winning. So I get I get frustration like that. Um, you know, the, the I think the, the marquee example right now and, and Torian isn't really on this level in any sense. But, you know, Devin Booker in Phoenix, where it's like, oh, is he is he a winning player? Does he contribute to winning or is he just, you know, suffering because of the situation that he's in? And I, I wouldn't go so far as to say that Torian is necessarily um, uh, like all of what is uh, all of Atlanta's situation is is holding him back or anything like that. But I do think that you just see the outline of a player who makes sense in 2019 and 2020 and 2021. He just makes sense in the NBA. You know he's going to be in the league. Um, and so as long as you don't overpay him on his next contract, which, you know, it's possible that they're forced into a tricky situation. Um, I think he's a he's a good piece to have around. Yeah, he's the uh, sort of what we talked about earlier. He's the only guy outside of the herder young Collins trio of young players that we just absolutely no doubt know as a rotation player in the league. There are guys who could make it, you know, Spellman could be that. Bebry showed some decent signs this year, but Prince is on a different level than those guys right now. We've seen him now function and play well at times in a rotation in the NBA. So he's kind of in his own tier for me on this roster right now in terms of the young guys anyway, because there's some vets that are, again, intriguing like Devin and Bazemore, et cetera. But Prince is just sort of in no man's land because he's kind of older than you would think, but he's still, you know, he's still fairly young. He's going to be entering his prime years pretty soon. And a looming decision to be sure that the Hawks have uh, after next year. Well, I guess now, because that's, that's kind of the impetus of the discussion is, you know, if, if you don't want to commit to the guy long term, you know, you, you might want to consider trading him now. And I think you said earlier that you were glad they didn't trade him. And I understand that view as well. But um, it's kind of a situation where this is almost a decision summer in some ways, because if you're not going to be willing to pay him big money or at least, you know, engage in extension talks, et cetera, then you might want to take stock of the market. But, you know, it's just kind of one of those things you have to decide if you're Travis Schlenk in the front office. So is Torian, he's extension eligible. July 1st. Next? Oh, okay. He's uh, that okay. was this, this was year three, so he'll be he's he's entering year four. He'll be he'll be in, he'll be he'll be restricted after this next year. So, and he's only, I think he's twenty five already. So like he's kind of older people than people realize because he was a a long term college guy too. So he's not the youngest guy in the world. And I think also people I know you probably understand this, but people don't always remember that he was not a draft pick of this regime. So he was a he was a carryover guy. And that's another reason why it's so intriguing is that to this point we don't really you know we don't know in all capital letters, what the front office thinks of him because it's a different, a different front office than the one that drafted him. So all of these different factors playing in and they have potentially two lottery picks in a class that, you know, is pretty heavy on like wings and forwards. So if you take a couple of those guys in the lottery, then you get, it's even more crowded and it gets more interesting. So a lot of dynamic, dynamics in play. I have a really random question for you. <laughs> Bring it on. And I, I don't want to derail the entire no, podcast, you're fine. but it just popped into my head. If the Atlanta Hawks were to somehow get the, let's say they get the number two pick in the draft, where do they go with that? This is because... uh, this is my pet thing right now. It's I'm glad you asked because uh, I am I'm definitely on record and I've said this a few times now that I would be putting it on the market immediately for trade and kind of just like having having on the market for 
five six weeks between the lottery and the draft. Because, just jump into the just jump into the Anthony Davis sweepstakes right there. I mean, <laughs> I, it's sort of. I mean, that, that's a popular thing among Hawks fans. But I'm like, guys, he's not going to stay. So no, don't you want to do that? Uh, but to your point, like if you think, and I and I do think, I know, I know you're not really a draft guy, but I think John Morant's a fairly clear number two for me, and they can't take John Morant. So it's it's a, it's a situation where. You just take the best offer, I think, and move down. I, I would not be taking anyone at number two if I was the Hawks and they got that pick. So you're not a – you don't think that uh, Trey and Barrett could be – I mean, Barrett – you could you could talk yourself into it. I'm not a huge Barrett fan, uh, and, and I don't love the fit with Trey, and I don't love just everything about that fit in Atlanta. Mm. He's not the kind of profile of what the Hawks have wanted recently. He's not a great shooter – he kind of needs the ball in a situation where you have Trey who needs the ball and probably is a better, not, not probably, definitely is a better offensive prospect in my opinion. So mm-hmm. um, I think just pure value-wise, you might talk yourself into Barrett being the guy, but I, I wouldn't want to make that pick. I think Barrett is closer to the other guys in this draft, like your Jarrett Culver types, than he is to the top of the draft. So that combined with the fit concerns I would have, I, I would not want I would not want to be picking number two. I think if you if you're a Hawks fan, you definitely want them to get the number two pick because that's a, a positive outcome in the lottery. But if that happens, I want to move down or look around and see what's out there. That's kind of and that's sort of a cop out answer, but that's kind of what I would do. So I, I, I you said you've thought about this, so I'm gonna ask, but you know, what type of player how good are we talking in terms of uh you know, players that you'd be interested in, in trading that pick for. Like the number one guy who pops into my head is like, uh, you know, Brad Beal, someone of that caliber. Are you like, is there any specific player that you'd be targeting that's reasonable to get with the number two pick? Or again, because we just talked about, you know, uh, accelerating the the rebuild here. So, you know, I would think that, you know, drafting, I, I again, I don't know, any of these guys, how good they are. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm looking at this, these names like Cam Reddish. And, and uh, I did watch the tournament because I had money on uh, Texas Tech in just about every game. So Jared Culver is near and dear to my heart. But I don't know how any of these guys would fit. But at the same time, getting cost-controlled rookie-scale deals seems to be like a really smart thing for the Hawks at this time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would certainly look toward trading down in the draft or maybe or maybe targeting someone who was like – a high draft pick from last year kind of thing, like someone who's still young enough to be on the timeline. I know, you know, Beal would be interesting in some ways, and he's still fairly young, but I also, to what we are talking about at the beginning, I don't want to speed things up too much if I'm the Hawks. So, you know, in a vacuum, it's kind of tough. There isn't really a play, like a like a defined current right. star-level player that I would really, I, I guess Beal is probably the most logical in some ways because of where they are. In Washington, and you know where his, you know where he is age-wise, et cetera, and kind of the fit that might be there alongside what the Hawks already have. But I'd be looking for more of a, you know, still have a still have a top five or six, seven draft pick in this class, and maybe you know add to your war chest. Like for instance, Chicago would be an interesting destination, and maybe you look to like steal Wendell Carter from them alongside alongside their draft pick, like something mm. like that, like. Not like that's not like a linear thing, but like something like that where you're still getting a a pretty a pretty darn good asset from the last draft or two that's not really distressed yet, plus a top you know five six seven pick alongside that to go up three spots because I think you, tr- you want to find a team that's 
try to get John Morant, and that means you need to find a team that, that has a point guard need. And, you know, Chicago doesn't have, like, they don't have a point guard in place, for instance. That, that's that's going to be a very popular one. If, for instance, the Hawks land at number two and Chicago's, like, number four, you're going to hear a lot of scenarios where you're talking about Chicago going up to two. Um, or Phoenix is the same sort of thing. So, I don't know. It's not perfect because we don't even know the, the order just yet. But, I, in general, I'd be looking for a young, still very young guys versus the established star type in that trade. Right. Right. That's essentially what they did last year, right? So, yeah. you, you know, you get the third pick trade down um and this year it'd be almost i mean it, it ended up being uh very similar because luca fell but this year it'd be so obvious that you just cannot take john morant so you you might lose a little bit of leverage but in the same breath you probably would have a bidding war for him because i think around the league a lot of people think he's the number two guy and you know he's kind of sitting out there so that kind of mitigates the fact that everyone knows you can't take him, which is kind of a weird spot. So there's just a lot of things to play there. Yeah. Well, I didn't mean to derail your podcast, but that just this conversation no, that's intriguing. is really I like interesting. That. It's even it's yeah. even more it's even funnier because you don't know the draft prospects as well. So it's like no. this very uh, <laughs> which makes it more fun. It is. It's it is very interesting <laughs> in a lot of ways. Um, while we're here, actually, let's just I'm, I was going to ask you this uh, near the end, but since we just talked about this, and we'll go back um, to players in a second. Um, being that you're not in draft mode. Um, I know you want to keep sort of keep things um, on track and on schedule if you're the Hawks. Does that mean like you would be almost fully looking, not looking, I should say, towards adding big time salary, or are you just like in value mode? Because for me, at least what I've said is I would not be trying to sign a big time contract this summer unless it was like the uber elite guy. Like you know, if Kevin Durant wants to come, you got to sign him. But other than that, and maybe like if Clay wanted to come. There's a very, very small list of players that I'd be willing to pay more than $20 million annually to if I'm the Hawks this summer. Are you in that mode, or is there a value proposition where you might find a guy or two that you might be interested in? If Yeah, if KD says, I want to live in Atlanta... <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> I don't think it's a question. But, uh, no, I don't, like... There's a certain category of free agent this summer who, let's say, uh, you know, someone like Vucevic, who is going to potentially command a lot of money we just saw him get completely dominated in the first round against Marcus all that's the type of player who you know I, I don't even necessarily think he would he doesn't fit really the timeline at all he's kind of about to enter he's in his prime now and you know about to be you know this next contract is probably post prime and then um I do think he's a he's a sneaky interesting fit with Collins and uh with Trey but it's not it's like I'm not even really entertaining it seriously but that's the type of player who I would just you know a really dumb organization <laughs> would if they heard a player like that was interested I think would would jump at the opportunity uh, but I have a lot of faith in this front office that, and you know, their understanding that patience is a virtue, and and Travis Schlenk's experience in Golden State and everything that happened there, where you know you really need to solidify what you have before you go out and shop. Um, you know, I think that you know I, I foresee the Atlanta Hawks someday landing a guy like uh, Andre Iguodala after they've already. Uh, kind of taken care of their business and developed what they've already, their own core that they've already drafted. So I wouldn't, no, I'm like, there's really no one beyond, you know, a a franchise altering piece who I would really entertain if I was Atlanta. 
Yeah, I think we're on the same page there. And uh, some of the most popular fan idea names are Vucevic and um, pre-injury. It was a lot of Boogie, Cug- Bo- Boogie Cousins talk. And I was like, okay, I would, I would not be doing that. Um, That's a disaster. Correct. I, I agree with you 100%. So we can move, we can move on from there. Um, let's just talk. I know we talked about Trey a little bit at the top. But, you know, to your, I think you said this earlier that he's almost been underrated. I kind of agree. And. You know, I didn't love the trade when it happened. I've uh, I was uh, very upfront about that on this podcast and other places. It's looking like it was a very um, a very solid decision. Trey definitely exceeded my expectations in a big way, and I think he has yours as well. From what you were saying, like where does that leave you with Trey Young? Is he, you know, a perennial all star for you? I know it's tough to say after one year, but people like people want to ask me now. You know, what's he going to be? And it's like, well, he's already really good, so enjoy that. But where does it go from here is the question that I you know I might get more than any other. Yeah, I think he's already he's already one of the five best passers in the NBA, yep. right? So that as a baseline is so it's just so ridiculous to me. Uh, I knew heading in that he was like I wrote a couple pieces on him heading in. So I actually did watch some of his film in college. So I was anticipating, you know, this really intriguing passer uh, and passing was the number one thing that I was more locked in on in him as a prospect than, you know, the 35 foot pull-ups, which are very, you know, those are game breaking and they're, they're good to have in your back pocket for sure. And I really liked how he didn't back down from, unleashing those at certain points in the season. But the passing is just so virtuous. It is magical. Um, The fact that he led the entire league, I believe, in corner three assists this year as a rookie is, uh, yeah, I don't really know who, like, how to compare that. You know, the, 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 the line of thought on playmakers and their ability to make those skip reads is, you know, you need height and Trey is a small guy. So for him to uh, read defenses, see where uh, help defenders are leaning and react off that in a split second is just, it's for him already to do that is just amazing to me. And so when you combine that with, you know, soon enough, he'll have more talent around him. He'll have more space to operate. Teams will start playing the pass and he'll have to score. Um, and then, it, you know, it gets into a little, uh, his development gets into an interesting stage. Uh, but, you know, generally speaking, I'm just, I, I'm extremely optimistic on him. I think that, I still think that it is not that hot of a take to suggest that he could have a better career than Luca. And uh, I know that that is definitely not the... Uh, majority opinion among people who watch the NBA and this is not to disparage Luca in any way but I'm a big fan of Trey and and obviously size is a not is not something that's necessarily working in his favor there's a big difference between doing this stuff in the regular season and ultimately achieving what you want which is you know uh competing for championships so I think we don't know how Trey's going to perform in a playoff series when teams are hunting him relentlessly. Uh, but for now, it, it looks really great. And I'm sure, you know, hopefully uh, the, the, the Hawks are already thinking about how they can compensate for that with the players they bring in around him. Yeah, they knew that from the moment, from the moment they took him. Like, they, they were very aware of what it was going to take to build around him. Uh, 
to, to your point about Luca, I, I don't think you're crazy at all. I think, you know, baseline level, Luca's is probably higher for a career wise, but it's certainly not crazy at all to think that Trey could end up being the better player given his upside. I mean, Upside was never really the concern with Trey Young. I think it was more of uh, what it what it would look like if it didn't work. But now that it kind of already has um, some of that concern or most of that concern is already gone, and his upside is off the charts from what it, you, you talked about his passing and his shooting. The size doesn't help him, but he's already been able to navigate it. And the fact that he can draw fouls as well as he can already, and the craft that he has and the intelligence that he has with the ball in his hands uh, really helps. I mean, defensively, it's going to be an adventure, but offensively. You know, once once he figured the, sh- the shooting stuff out, and in, in from December on, that player already was like an all star level offensive talent. Like he averaged like twenty one and nine for the last fifty games. Like he was already there as a rookie and did it efficiently, which is kind of staggering from where he was early in the year. And you know, during the draft process, he's definitely again, I'm looking to be very wrong, which is just fine with me. He was <laughs> he was awesome this year. Yeah, I don't want to, you know turn this into like the 538 podcast (laughs) politics podcast but something about uh people you know people kind of already having their minds made up initially with trey it's kind of like like the Mueller report comes out and then uh there's this instant analysis that there was nothing wrong and you know trey young's drafted trey young's at, at summer league and everyone's already forming these opinions on him luca has this first month that is just blitzing the entire league and opinions kind of uh they they solidify immediately and it's really difficult to alter the perception throughout a regular season particularly when you're playing on a team that uh doesn't have any relevance big picture so people are kind of sleeping on it and then you know he came on late but you know, there was it was a little too late, I think, to alter everyone's opinions necessarily. So it's just it's really it's 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 interesting. And I think, you know, heading into year two, some sometimes uh, another thing is just for Luca and for Trey and for every other rookie who had an impressive season, uh, you are able to, um, uh, for lack of a better phrase, take the league by storm and by surprise. And now there's a lot of tape on these guys, and there's an entire offseason for coaches to uh, figure out how to slow you down. We saw this happen at the beginning of this season with Donovan Mitchell. We saw it happen with Ben Simmons through stretches. We've seen it happen with Jason Tatum. Um, none of this is really linear, so people should remember that if Trey were to struggle or any of the other rookies this year who are good, we're to struggle next year, but long term, I see a multiple time All Star, no doubt about it. Yeah, and uh, to your point, and I, I will move on in a second. But the, the Utah Summer League takes were uh, all timers. Let me just say that mm. about Trey. <laughs> uh, looking looking back, and uh, even again, as someone who, you know, I criticized the Hawks for making the trade. Like I, I also made sure to point out on draft night that I I understood the theory of it because you were getting another lottery pick, or at least a projected one alongside him. Still didn't like it, but um, the people that you know really like unloaded the clip during Utah Summer League and like buried the kid after two Summer League games. It was just performance art. It was incredible. I'll never, I'll, yeah. never, I'll, never, I'll never forget it. To be fair, I mean, it was just one of those things. Like, man, we're, we're, we're really doing this like on July second. This is incredible. No, the I was at the uh, Trey Young versus Frank Nilakina, uh in Las Vegas. Oh, me too. I was there. It was interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, it was basically like, oh, this is a uh, career over, bust. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, it's just, it's it's really funny how that stuff plays out. It was wild. All right, we'll move off of Trey. Um, I want to ask you about Collins, because I know you wrote about him, I think it was like December or January, and you were very high on him, and I think a lot of people mm-hmm. 
were uh, he was very good this year. Uh, first, uh, while you talk about what you wrote, if you would like to, and then um, you know, kind of the, one of the big questions beyond Collins the player, which I want you to talk about as well, is who you pair him with. And I know it's not necessarily it's not necessarily a draft question. It's like perfect world. What kind of player? do you think pairs best with him? I know it's not always perfect world, so you kind of have to prioritize what you want, but, you know, it's basically a long-winded way of saying where, like, what kind of player do you think he is and what player does, does he need to have next to him? And that's, again, if Trey's not the biggest question that I get, that then th- that, that probably is because it's always like, all right, who's the five going to be next to Collins? I'm like, well, I don't know. There's a lot of different things that you could look for, and it's a very interesting question. Yeah, I love John Collins, um, and I'm really happy that he made he, he played really well, even better than uh, he had when I wrote about him. So he made me look really smart. So I, I'll always appre- <laughs> I always appreciate guys who Came when through. you spend time, yeah, when they they actually are uh, better than you you wrote when you write something glowing about them, which doesn't it, it isn't always the case. But so I appreciate that from John Collins. I always will. Um, no, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his, uh, the, you know, you, in talking to people around the Hawks and them stressing to me that John Collins was, you know, making everything happen box score wise outside of the offense, just kind of existing and using his strength and his athleticism and, uh, you know, reading and reacting and, uh, you know, there was just, it, I thought that that really stood out to me. I think that was probably the lead of my piece or at least something. It was a, it was a pretty big section in there. Um, and going forward, you know, it's really interesting how, uh, I think his above the break three point shooting will dictate his ceiling ultimately. And that's not even, I mean, his strength is, you know, he could be a complete elite, uh, rim rolling big, like he could, I think his ceiling, if that was what he wanted to focus on, he could be the one of the three or four best players at that in the league. He could be um, Clint Capella with more spring and better hands. Um, I don't know if uh, that's – I mean, I know that that's not exactly what the Hawks envision him. They envision – they see more coming from him for sure. And so when I look at what type of player – can be matched up next to him as the five. Uh, you know, I, I, I think I like, it wouldn't really be the end of the world if you went traditional in that spot and you had a, a traditionally athletic rim protector who could rebound, protect the paint, who ran rim to rim, who set screens and dove and you could have, Colin spotting up and 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 defending a little bit more on the perimeter where he has been gradually improving um or you could also try to invest in just pure spacers and bank on Collins improving as an interior defender over the next however many years uh uh, so, um, and play him predominantly at the five. I don't really know if that's, uh, what do you, do you think that's the way, I mean, I, I go back and forth on this, but I'm definitely leaning yeah. more towards the former for sure. Yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, candidly, I was definitely when he was drafted on the Collins as a five train, mostly because I didn't see the shooting coming in the way that it has mm-hmm. and defensively. I thought it was going to be bad, and it has not been great. 
but I thought it was going to be, frankly, even worse than it's been. Um, so he's, he's been a pleasant surprise on the end of the floor in some, some ways for me. So I, I'm definitely more on board with him playing four most of the time. I think him as a small ball five needs to be used probably more than it has been. But as a primary look, I think he probably needs to be the four. Um, you know, it wouldn't blow me away if he was the five long term, but they have to kind of have a perfect four next to him. So, you know, this year, you know, the way that it worked with him and Dwight Devin was actually quite useful. Devin is someone who has a traditional center profile, except for the fact that he can, he can really shoot it. So offensively, mm-hmm. Collins is kind of playing center, but defensively they flip and Devin was kind of, I mean, if Devin was 23 years old, I think it would be awesome long-term between those two guys <laughs> just because Devin's yeah. like does all, I mean, he's there, he's a rip protecting center that also shoots threes. And that, that's kind of what you want next to John Collins. It's just, that's a really tough skill set to find because not everybody, you know, Devin kind of hilariously has turned into this like off movement three point shooter at seven feet tall after never shooting in his life to the last two years. It's kind of insane. But, um, yeah, I tend to lean towards Collins as more of a four now with some backup five utility, Whereas I used to be more of him as a primary five. That makes sense. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, I, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I, I, that's a, I mean, it's tough. (laughs) It it is tough. And sometimes I think about, and I, I don't know how like dramatic this is, but you know, in a playoff setting where, you're forced to downsize, but you want to keep Collins on the floor, of course, and you have to play him at the five, you know, there, I, I could envision, I don't know if they're going to keep everyone together, but I could envision, you know, Prince at the four. And I don't even know, you get, you get Herter, who's a little, is big for his position, Trey. And then I don't know, you would need more size, I think, at the wing to, to do this, but it's, I, I, I don't know. I think that those, those units could survive on both ends and stretches. Yeah, I mean, it, a lot of it comes down to what Collins' defensive future looks like. And I think, you know, he's not very good right now on the end of the floor, but there were some nice signs at the end of the season. And it kind of comes down, you know, what you think of who he should be paired with almost comes down to that end of the floor. Because I agree with you earlier, you said that, you know, his, his above-the-break above three is going to be very important in, in his ceiling. I totally agree with that. And then defensively, it's kind of like, what's he going to be? If he can be a, a primary rim protector, that would really help. But I'm not sure it's gonna come. You know what I mean? So we'll see. Yeah, I uh, I wrote in that piece that I think that Collins will be one of the three best players from his draft class by the time everybody retires, and uh, I just wanted to be clear that I stand by that. And I think, you, I think honestly, I mean, I would have told you you were insane a year ago, but this season. Uh, that certainly was the case. Honestly, just from you know year two only, I think he. Definitely was a top three player in this class for this season. I mean, future wise, we'll see. But um, who was better than him this year? Fox. Yeah, a lot of a lot of really talented players in that class, and I'll probably be wrong. But I, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you will be. I mean, I'm not. I don't find myself. You know, I've, I've never been known locally as like the huge Collins enthusiast, like Homer guy. Like, but I think him. His breakout this year, combined with some other guys kind of flattening, like Tatum, for instance, flattening out a little bit, um, it's not looking crazy, honestly. I think, I think well, now you're you're team. you're attacking a family member, right? I know. I mean, know. he's. I'm not. I'm not, say, I'm not saying that I would rather have Collins <laughs> than Tatum because um, I wouldn't. But you know what I mean? Like just just this year, o- this year you. only. I I almost certainly wouldn't have three guys from that class ahead of him from from how they played this year. Yeah, moving forward is a different so, question, but. 
Yeah. For sure. And I think some of the players that you'd compare him to are like m- more so like Markinen. Markinen is yeah. definitely an interesting one. And uh, I, I, I'm a fan. Um, I just think that, you know, in terms of athleticism and, uh, you know, I just and the fit right now, because Collins great advantage for whoever knows how long he'll be here. But for the foreseeable future, having Trey Young as your point guard is that's really great for your development. Yeah. And those guys, you know, I wrote a little bit about them. Um, I wrote about Collins and like, like sort of like a player review way this week. And those those two guys playing together um, unlock a lot with each other. Um, you know, it's not a coincidence at all that Trey was much, much better with John on the court and vice versa. So they, they, they fit very, very well, especially offensively. Basically, putting them on the floor this year for the Hawks, they had like an elite offense. And for a team that was as bad as they were overall, like, you know, a sub-31 team to have an elite offense with them on the floor for the whole season is uh, pretty jarring. And that's where they were with those, with those two guys playing. Which isn't like surprising if you watch them, but just that, take a step back, it's like, all right, 29-1 team, but they were legitimately elite offensively when their two best players were on the court together. It's like, all right, well, that, that's a good foundation to have. It's not bad. No, it is not. Um, I'm going to let you go in a second. I do want to ask you, I know, um, you know, this is sort of an interesting question, but since you cover the whole league, I want to get your thoughts. Lloyd Pierce drew a lot of Ray, Ray reviews this year from myself included. I thought he was really, really good. What have you heard about him as a, you know, I guess before this year, now that you've seen, now, now that you've seen him for a year coaching, I know it's, it's tough to glean too, too much from one year of non-playoff stuff like that, but, you know, he just got added to the USA basketball staff, so it seems like people really enjoy the work of Lloyd Pierce. Are you hearing the same things that I have, that he kind of has a universal approval rating? Because that's kind of where he is right now, I think. Yeah, I haven't heard anything bad at all. Um, I thought that being the lead assistant for the Philadelphia 76ers last year um, and just kind of the strides that they made defensively, which is where he was – uh, given a ton of credit, I, I thought that those were really impressive traps heading into all the the, the heading into the interview process for him. Um, I mean, players obviously respond to him very well. Uh, going to Team USA is, you know, that's just that's a humongous deal um, for a team that is going to be on the come up and going to be, I, I think, in a lot of free agent pitch meetings going forward with big fish maybe maybe not the next two summers but going forward after that uh if they're able to maintain flexibility they should be real players and having lloyd pierce and having him command respect from those guys and having a previous prior relationship is nothing but positive so having him as your coach is great having him you know uh I should say not firing him because you didn't make the playoffs in a rebuild <laughs> year is a step in the right direction for any organization these shade days, unfortunately. Shade to the Phoenix Suns. Shade to the Phoenix yeah, Suns. Yes, direct shade. A lot of shade. Um, one of the dumbest things I've seen in a long time. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think building on what he – you know, the defense obviously was not superb this year. And, you know, the expectation on-court expectations, I don't think um, – should have been high at all. Um, so it's really diff- difficult to, to say that he disappointed in any way. But, uh, you know, there are some advanced metrics that are really interesting. Just, you know, you saw all year long that they wanted to get to the rim. They wanted to shoot corner threes. Those are highly efficient looks. And for him to acknowledge that and to 
coax that from his team is definitely a step in the right direction. So, I mean, in terms of just young coaches around the league and it just you just see his temperament, you see how players respond to him, I think he'll be the head coach there for a very long time. Yeah, I mean, shot profile-wise, there's a lot to like about what the Hawks were able to do. And then relationship-wise, everyone, and I'm not kidding, everyone, even from before he was hired that I've talked to around the league, likes Lloyd Pierce. I'm not, I've not heard one. Not even I won't even say one negative thing. I haven't even heard one one like neutral thing about Lloyd Pierce. Every, everyone loves Lloyd Pierce. Like you know, it's kind of hilarious, and I'd be the first person to say that that wasn't true. But it's uh, been almost like comical in the positivity that I hear on the league. So I wanted to ask you about that. Um, we covered a lot of ground here, Mike, and I appreciate all the time you've given me. So uh, I'm gonna let you go. But please uh, plug in anything that you would like or say anything that you haven't said. Just yeah, I know you're uh, over Espionation for the next couple weeks, months. Yeah, I'll be at SB Nation covering the playoffs and free agency for them through the end of July. Um, and so I guess just uh, look for my work there and uh, feel free to follow me on Twitter at Michael V. Pina. And Brad, this was a lot of fun. Uh, I know we talked off air about it taking so long for me to get on here, but I <laughs> hope to, uh, which is definitely my fault, not yours, as you, as you said. Um, so uh, thank you so much for having me. I had a really good time. No, it's my pleasure, and we will do it again very soon. Uh, I'm a fan of your work, and uh, please go follow Mike. And uh, I guess we technically are on the same place right now because I, I technically write for SB Nation over at the, at least for PeachTreeHoops.com. So my colleague, we're, we're colleagues for a little while. So uh, no, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast, and we'll be back again next week. <laughs>